It's nice to be here. When I was here, it was just a few weeks ago when there was the installation of the statue. And it was a real gift to be here and be present for that. I've been talking quite a bit about that. And everyone's very impressed with your sangha for doing that. Um, I'm going to talk tonight about working with emotions. And I love talking about this topic because it's so interesting. It's so interesting to me how we learn to relate to our emotions in our practice and how we learn to relate to them in our lives. And I just think we live in the society that's so confused about emotions. You know, there's such this, this, um, this obsession with like help me, self-help and those talk shows and the books and the, and yet, and there's no, um, it, it just seems great if we could all go to school and uh, take emotions class. And I was actually, I picked up, in preparation for this talk, I picked up, there's a new book by the Dalai Lama and Dan Goleman called Destructive Emotions. Has anyone seen that? And in it, it says that they want to try to start some kind of training for children in how to really work in a healthy way with emotions. And so generally, we learn how to work with our emotions based on what's going on in our families. So if you grow up in a family that tends to have everything is okay and I'm fine and nothing to, um, no problem, then we tend to kind of be more towards the repressive side with the emotions. And then if you grow up in one of those families where everybody's yelling at each other all the time and it's kind of the opposite, right? Um, we get trained. That's where we get our training is in, in, our, in our early lives. So either way, there's this tendency in one hand to either kind of explode and express and get really passionate and angry, you know, or no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, everything's fine, it's good. And neither way, as probably you've heard before, is the healthiest way necessarily to deal with the emotional life. So I will talk about what might be that. The, I practiced quite a bit in Asia. So when I began my meditation practice, there was not so much of an emphasis on emotions. And I don't know if this is because, I, I kind of try to avoid those conversations to say, well, is, are the mind of people who grow up in the East different than the minds of people who grow up in the West? And, um, what I do know is that practicing in Asia, there just simply isn't an emphasis on the content of what one is experiencing when one meditates. So um, I was working with Sayadaw Upandita, and he would, no matter what, he's a Burmese master, and no matter what, I came in and said, well, I'm experiencing this memory, say, please note it. So whatever came up, it didn't matter what it was, it didn't matter if it was this great psychological insight into something that I had discovered, or this memory of... Um, what I had for dinner, uh, there was no dinner, sorry, lunch <laughs> the day before. Um, there was always, it was always, please note it. And when I said to him at one point, well, I have some, cons- I have some concern, I'm having a lot of emotional issues come up, and he said, I said, I'm having more, a lot of psychological issues come up, and he said, well, Westerners are too concerned with our psychological problems. 
And I thought, oh, okay. Um, it's, it's interesting because in a way, this is, in our culture of intense individuation, you know, it's the shadow side. We get so, there's so much an emphasis on the individual and then you see a lot more psychological pro- problems, so to speak, in America or in the West compared to in, a- in Asia where there's not so much of an emphasis. And I don't know, again, I said I don't want to get into the kind of comparisons between the two kinds of minds because it's too, it's sort of uninformed in some ways. The point is basically that if you're practicing in Asia, there's not going to be such an emphasis on um, working with emotions. And that's how I was trained. Now, it nicely dovetailed with growing up in a family where everything was fine. And it's not so great to have strong emotional outbursts, that one should be even-keeled and equanimous. In fact, finding Buddhism was this wonderful um, validation of what I already knew. Oh, it's good to be equanimous. And so what I discovered as I began my early practice was that if I meditated and I got very concentrated, then I wouldn't have a lot of emotions arising. Because one could, um, you may see this for yourself when you practice, but if you're, if you're quite concentrated, an emotion can arise and you just say, oh, there's, there's sadness and disappears. You know, or there's, there's fear, oh, fear, notice it, oh, it's gone. And, um, so there's a way in some sense to kind of bypass, to go through emotions very quickly because, um, because of the the level of concentration in the mind. And it's not necessarily a bad or good thing. It just, for some people, that's what happens. For other people, I mean, you may say, what is she talking about? When I meditate, I sit there and I feel like I'm one big emotion, you know, and and that may be the case. I mean, all of us, of course, we all have different minds with different things going on in it. So as I said, when I first began practice, the emotions seemed very elusive to me. I could sit and I could watch this, I could become aware of my breath and the sensations in the body and the sounds and thoughts even. But when emotions would come, they kind of pop into my head and pop out. And I just thought, okay, well, not that much is happening. And occasionally something big would happen and then you couldn't miss it. So then you would be, bring your mindfulness to that. But for the most part, it was sort of, it was kind of like way in the background. I started to have experiences when I was doing walking meditation. This is after a few years of my practice, where I would be doing walking meditation, and then suddenly I would notice, wait a minute, there was this feeling that just went by about three steps ago. So I started to experiment, and I would walk back to exactly where I was standing when I was feeling that emotion and put my body in that position And I would stand there, and then this emotion would come up, and then it would go. And I thought, oh, okay, so there's something going on here. And it's just about sort of making space for this thing that I think historically in my life hadn't been okay, so okay to have. A few years later, when I was practicing in Burma, I started doing an emotions practice for myself because I was aware that it was important. I was aware that in some ways I was leaving out a piece of my experience. 
And what I did was instead of doing walking meditation with a strict uh, emphasis placed on, on um, awareness of the feet and the legs, I started to do it as emotions walking meditation. So I would walk and I would take a few steps and then I would check into my heart, check into my stomach, see what was happening, let what was ever coming up come through me and then pass. And sometimes I would get, you know, I would, I would access some pretty intense stuff. Sometimes it was just, it was just, mm, it, it, it caused a kind of texture, a more of a texture to my, to my meditation practice. So there was this kind of like a calm and coolness, but an absence of, of the, of these emotions that made me, made it a bit richer. And so I was allowing that in. I was doing that practice to allow that in. And what I soon discovered was, in a sense, a whole underworld of emotions that I had really kept out. And I think I kept them out because a lot of them were painful. And I didn't want to feel the pain. So soon I began to have these indicators, what I'd say when I notice it's time to do emotions practice. Okay, So one of them would be that I would do a walking meditation and I couldn't feel my feet. And that was an indication to me, oh, it's time to pay attention to the body, to the emotions in the body. Another would be if I was feeling sunk or depressed or down. And then I'd say, okay, just just pay attention to the emotions. And just giving them space and time and giving some care to them was quite profound and really, as I said, just sort of opened me up to this other dimension of my practice. I called this practice walking myself home to myself. So what does the Buddha say about emotions? When we look at the Satipatthana Sutta, which of course our practice comes from, it's very clear the Buddha in um, the third foundation talks about awareness of mental phenomenon. And he says, and how because, meaning, Yogis, let's say that. How, yogis, does a yogi dwell perceiving again and again the mind as just the mind, not my, not self, but just phenomena? Here, yogis, when a mind with greed arises, a yogi knows that it's a mind with greed. When a mind without greed arises, a yogi knows that it's a mind without greed. When a mind with anger arises, you know that it's a mind without anger, hatred, you know, confusion, fear, laziness, all of that. Simply knowing the experience. So it's right there very clearly in the text that one should be paying attention to what's going on on the emotional level. So how do we work with them? What exactly are they? As you've probably discovered by now, And probably, for you, some of you, many of you, years and years of doing this work, emotions are both, they're they're, um, sensations in the body in combination with thoughts and a general sort of concept level of what's going on. So fear might be the heart racing, a little bit of nodding in the stomach, um, a story, oh my God, I left my such and such, I left the stove on, what am I going to do? You know, whatever it is. And the sense of I'm scared, okay, or sadness. I mean, you know, it's it's very body based. And 
the thing that's so important to do when we're experiencing emotion and when we're meditating and in our daily life is to go into the body. I mean, it's the number one key key thing that I've learned. It's just come into the body, feel it, feel it in the body. And I was teaching this recently with a group of teenagers who I often work with, and one of the one fourteen, uh, maybe fifteen year old came up to me and he said, I've really been working with this emotions in the body stuff. And he says that when he's, not when he's meditating, because I don't think he has a daily practice, but he says when he's at his house or something, emotion comes up, he immediately brings his attention into the body. And he said, and you know, it just, it changes everything. It's, it's like I, I realize that it's just some stuff happening in the body. It's not really like it's my thing to take so personally. I thought, oh my God, to get that at 15. <laughs> it's quite amazing. So that's, that's kind of one of the main things to do when, emotion, when strong emotions in particular are arising. If, if you're meditating and there's no particular emotion going on, no problem. Just, just do whatever you're doing. If sometimes what happens is we know it's there, we know something is happening, but we don't want to be with it because it's painful. And in that case, it's this sense of um, you can become aware of the resistance. You can become aware of the hating of the emotion and not wanting to be present with it. Sometimes it's so intense that we just can't go there. That it's that it's it's um, that's okay. Let's do something else. Become aware of the breath. Become aware of sound. Relax. I mean, just sometimes there's so much in there. And it's like, how can we make space for it without pushing? Being gentle, really remembering to be gentle with ourselves when strong emotions are occurring. It's really important, I've found, to pay attention to my level of energy when I'm meditating. So if I don't have a lot of energy, if the mind's a little sleepy or spacey, and I try to pay attention to something that's intense, I just, I just can't. Because one of the characteristics of intense emotional pain or physical pain is that it, can, it tends to tire the mind. So if you try to pay attention to something when the mind is tired, it doesn't really work so well. So learning to back off when it's appropriate. One of the things that I've been interested in is the way that certain hindrances can become a cover for strong emotions. So, for instance, when the mind gets really sleepy or the mind gets really dull or the mind gets very restless, that there might be something else going on underneath a strong emotion. I work with this quite a bit in my daily practice, in my life. So, for instance, if I'm at home and I find suddenly that I'm washing the dishes, and then I get sick of the dishes, and I go and I turn on my computer, and I want to check my email, and then I run to my room and decide it's a mess, and I start cleaning it up. And at some point in this like vast sort of running around process, I realize, oh my God, there must be something going on I don't want to pay attention to. So the mind is so restless, if I can come back into the body, and then I say to myself, okay, stop, feel what's happening, come into the body. And I feel, oh... I'm lonely. I didn't even know that. 
You know, we cover it up with all sorts of things. Or um, I've also found, for instance, if I get a recurring obsessive thought, it might be that there's an emotion underneath that I haven't felt that I want, that I should really feel, that I could. So if I start, if my mind, it's, it's kind of like a little mindfulness bell goes off for me. If my mind starts, I don't know, thinking obsessively about, oh, what's a good one? <laughs> Ice cream, someone said. Um, so, well, sure, I mean, food stuff, you know, we get a lot of food thoughts, and oftentimes there's, there's some other feeling or something going on underneath that could be attended to. Um, obsessive hypochondria. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to go to the hospital. I know I'm going to be sick. This one's really bad, whatever. Uh, going into the body, feeling into the body of what's happening, and often there's, again, strong emotion. So a question that some people have is when you're meditating, when do you know when to be with the process? Meaning, like, I'm being with the sound and the breath and the and a sensation. Oh, there's a thought. There's an emotion. It's going by. When do you say, well, maybe I need to investigate. Maybe this is important. Maybe it's time to really be with something. And... What I've learned quite a bit around this is about when does it block you? Like when, um, if the content is so intense that you can't practice, that you can't be mindful. Like I couldn't be mindful of my feet when I was in the monastery. Then it's time to pay attention to the content. So it's sort of this dynamic interplay of going back and forth between content and the sort of traditional mindfulness practice. Sometimes we find that what comes up is quite intense. And sometimes you can do years and years of traditional mindfulness practice and there's some really heavy stuff in there. I have a story from, some of you know Michelle McDonald-Smith, who's a wonderful teacher in, on the East Coast. She actually lives in Hawaii. And she was meditating for a long time and then started to have access, like she got to a place in her practice where she couldn't go any further. So I want to read you what her words are about this. In my first years of Buddhist practice, I touched so many places of freedom that it seemed there was nowhere to go from there but up to more and more transcendence and an easier and easier life. When I practiced longer retreats, I began to have an ever-deepening experience of freedom, a very positive sense of the loss of identification with the self. It was healthy and awakening, everything you read about. Sometimes after that, I would experience the opposite. It was like falling into a black hole. The self was disappearing, but it was agony. It was a kind of annihilation, everything you don't read about. Over and over again in my practice, I would experience incredible freedom and openness, at times followed by this incredible black hole, a total closing down of my being. I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't think anyone understood it. I like to describe the initial years of working with that sense of annihilation. 
It was as if I was a beautiful glass window and someone took a giant rock and threw it through the window. It was like being totally dissolved, totally annihilated. In the beginning, I rarely had enough power of awareness to go through that experience mindfully. Now, after years of working with this in and out of retreats and getting some skillful therapy, I feel that I finally have a language for it. Gradually, I've started to have the strength to go through that experience mindfully. And I can say now that, of course, it's by re-experiencing those emotions with mindfulness, with loving kindness and compassion, that the pieces of the window get glued back together. Then there's no need to split off from the body or the emotions because one is no longer afraid of them. The child feels safe because finally there's a compassionate adult present within oneself. So it seems to me that the more we practice and open to all these varied aspects of our experience, the more we kind of things come to greet us. So John Shaw often talks about, you've probably heard the, the metaphor of the mind gets to be like a still forest pool. The mind gets very still, and then all these animals come to greet it, to, uh, to drink from the water. And in some ways, I think that the practice of working with emotions, it's like the animals come up, but they come up very slowly. And they want to make sure there's enough trust there. You know, they'll come up and, like if you're feeding an animal a park, right, the squirrel might come up a little bit and then run away and then come up a little bit more. And and ultimately, the squirrel might be able to eat from your hand. And that's the way I see it works with our emotional life and practice, is we keep making more and more space for allowing these parts of ourselves to come forward. And sometimes, like in the case with Michelle, you get really kind of hammered with it. But then again, you learn through the power of mindfulness to open up stronger and stronger. And just just like you create a larger container for yourself to be willing to accept whatever is arising in this mind and body. And one begins to feel fearless. There's less identification with the difficult emotions and less sense of self, it's me, it's my emotions, I'm bad, I'm, I'm angry, I'm fearful. It's just, oh, there it is, coming up again. So emotions become more of a, or less of a big deal. And we begin, as I said, to have this space for whatever is arising And I just love the image of the mind like the sky and the emotions like the clouds. And the the thing is that the clouds are not separate from the sky. So whatever is arising is arising within this vast nature. And as we do this, we have more and more power to open to the suffering of others, to be available, to be present, to be free amidst this. Oh, that's my thoughts on emotions. And 
I would love to open it up for the last bit of time. Describing the walking meditation and that you were switching from your feet mm-hmm. to, at some point to the content. But I thought that that was particularly in Asia and not mm-hmm. So where do you, can you say a little bit more about that? I wasn't exactly shifting to the content. I mean, there's, I'm not sure if I made this clear in the talk. There's, there's the level of observing the emotion as kind of phenomenon, right? So mm-hmm. what I was doing is I was doing walking with the feet and then I would feel an emotion and I'd go into the body and I'd just feel, I'd kind of trace it and see what was happening and notice the thoughts and notice it and f- just feel it, essentially. But I wasn't so, um, I wasn't thinking like, oh, God, when did this happen? Was I five years old when I had a similar, that's more going into the content, you know? So, so that, does that make, a di- make sense in the difference? Yeah, so you're staying with, with the body. Staying with the body, observing the thoughts, observing the feelings, but not necessarily... I mean, sometimes it can be really useful to inquire into something. So, let's say you have, I don't know, a stomach pain that hasn't gone away for three days of a meditation retreat, and you know it's not something you ate. It might be, it's really useful to sort of take your mindfulness and bring it in and feel it and just notice what comes up. There may be some kind of content that arises. You may need a teacher to do this with. Um, occasionally people, you know, I don't know, maybe some of you here have had experiences of paying attention to the body in a certain way and like a memory comes up. Oh, when I was five years old, I, such and such happened. And it's kind of like it's registered. It's like stuck in the body. And so in that case, some inquiry can be quite useful, but not spending an hour going, hmm, was it this, was it that, da, da, da. Like, that's more being with the content rather than the process. You mean identifying that one is having an emotion right. versus what the the kind of emotion? Yes. Um, so you can know that emotion is having is happening in your body without knowing, say, why it's happening or what it's about or anything. You could, I mean, we can all be sitting here and suddenly this sense of joy just goes through the body, and then you can know, oh, joy. I, mean, I don't know how many of you use mental labeling here, but I find it very useful to, you know, something's happening, oh, f- there's fear, there's sadness. So that's, it's just knowing that an emotion is arising versus kind of, this is what I was just saying to this woman, the, the, the kind of story about it is typically in this practice less important as, the, um, as, just, as just being present with what's happening. Mm-hmm. But then to identify what the emotion is. Is it anger? Is it fear? Is mm-hmm. it, that's where the correlation is. I, I, I see what you're asking. It's, it's not necessarily that important. It could be important, but it could not be important. Because you can just know that you're feeling something. 
without having to be so specific. Like sometimes we know there's a thought rising and it's like, is it planning? Is it wandering? Is it, I mean, is it worrying? Is it, is it, so thinking is enough of a note of what's of the experience that's happening. So when you're, when you're having an emotion, Am I, answer, am, I, am I getting at your question? When you're having an emotion, oh, there's just, I'm feeling something. That's okay. I mean, that's fine. If, if, uh, if you're still caught in it, you know, there's something going on, you don't know what it is, and it's, it's really causing a lot of aversion, it might be useful at that point. Oh, is it, is it a little bit of fear? It's anger at that point. But if the mind isn't caught and it's just feeling something, just let it feel it and be aware of it. Finding the emotions in your body and dealing with them <coughs> makes a lot of sense. It's very. Um, my sense is that that's that's not at all a traditional Asian way of way of approaching things. And um, and the, so I mean, and from your smile, I think you've probably dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And you know, there, there's some kind of tension there, and maybe there's another way to look at it that's fruitful. And, and for some people, at some times, and I just I just you know wonder what your experience mm-hmm. with, with dealing with these, these two ways of dealing with emotions is. Mm-hmm. You know, Buddhism here in the U.S. has, of course, been greatly influenced by the Western psychological movements, right? So, you know, and there's this whole history of, of exploration of emotions through psychological inquiry and so forth, and it's not what is done in Asia. They don't have, like, an Asian... I mean, it's hard for me to to be exactly specific on this because I'm not as well-informed as I'd like to be. But you don't see... I mean, Freud was a Westerner. (laughs) And you don't... I don't know if there's an equivalent in some Asian countries of, like, a Freud. Freud. There's great philosophical movements and so forth. Um... And, and somebody, if you know differently, please correct me. So I think that there's a particular relationship in like traditional vipassana that you do in Asia where emotion arises, like the Buddha said. I mean, I pull that directly from the sutta. When greed is arising, you know that greed is arising. So there's just a knowing of it. As opposed to like a um, investigation of it, which is more kind of Western psychologically oriented. I think in the wet, I think for people who live in this country and grew up in this culture, it can be very, very useful to do some skillful investigation and at times even therapy around stuff because the meditation practice isn't necessarily going to touch it. But, um, you know, everybody has their own opinion on this particular issue. Yeah. I was 
city with kids and um, taking the conversation session, I mentioned that to him, and he said, "Oh, that's mostly associated with fear." Mm-hmm. And then in the next sitting, after the conversation, um, I realized, yeah, there was a big fear going on. Mm-hmm. And once I acknowledged that, you know, the persistent pain just disappeared. Mm-hmm. It was very, it was a very powerful experience. Mm-hmm. Once knowing what it is, made it go. Mm-hmm. That's a great illustration. Did everyone hear her? Um, she said she was experiencing back pain and she was with Gil and he suggested to her that it might be fear. And when she investigated into, into the back pain, she realized that it was, it was some kind of holding around fear and then it began to, it disappeared essentially. Once she, we realized what it was, she knew it. She saw it clearly. And that's, it's, it's a beautiful way to practice. Um, we have to be careful because we can get into the like looking for things. Oh, I wonder if it's this or I wonder if it's that. You know, it's more, the practice sort of unfolds the best, I think, when you just let it be, you know, and then if something happens, like, oh yeah, there's, there's some pain and I can investigate rather than sort of looking for things. But, um, but that's a great illustration. Yeah. In my practice, I I have been able to realize, recognize that I have avoidance. Mm. I, I really duck things that are difficult or or just aversion for all the usual reasons of aversion. And I'm finding now that I'm wondering whether I should particularly pay attention to the things that seems like I'm avoiding, or whether I should let them lie. And I don't know which way to go, or maybe I should just ask somebody. <laughs> I think you are. <laughs> Do you pay attention to the aversion? Well, to be honest, the avoidance usually wins. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, mo- the, the motivation to avoid mm-hmm. often wins more often than persisting. Maybe mm-hmm. it's sloth. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So you mean you're, you're meditating and you know there's... Explain it a little bit more. What happens? I often find that I can't stick with it or, or decide not to or whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to go anywhere. You mean you're experiencing something happening some in your meditation? Some sign, if I wanted to call it a sign, but uh-huh. it may not be a sign that I should pay attention to it. Maybe it's just something. I don't uh-huh. know. So I rest in the confusion. Oh. Not very satisfying. I mean, it, it's. I think one of the things about this practice is that we all have to find our way. You know, that it's that the more you experiment, the more you learn. So, like, what I would do is I would try different strategies and see what happened. So today, I'm, I'm noticing I'm avoiding everything. So I'll just let myself avoid and see where that leads me. Today I'm going to actually really be disciplined and I'm going to sit there and really try to pay attention. Today I'm going to just completely forgive myself for whatever I do. You know, I, like, and see what happens. I mean, that's how you learn in this practice is through that quality of experimentation. 
And sometimes we're really defended for a reason. You know, like you don't want, I don't want to look at that. It's too painful. And the body and mind have shut down. And it's like honoring those limits are really important as well. But if you've been doing something consistently and you think, you know, I'm really, really avoiding something, then it's time to just, I don't know, to, to, um, to really maybe explore the resistance a little and then bring the mind more carefully into the thing you're avoiding. I would say if it's it's really recurring mm-hmm. on that level. It seems to me something is recurring all right, but I haven't gotten enough of a look at it to even know whether I really should persist uh-huh. in trying to get to it or not. I yeah. don't know what you're saying. I, I guess maybe I should at least try that. Keep at it for a week instead of a day or something. Um, I mean, I don't I don't have the answer because I don't know your mind, but... I would say, again, bringing that quality of experimentation and gentleness to it and see what happens. And if it feels like you're pushing yourself too much, then back off. I don't know how other people work, but that's how I work. Like, I learn, but I try something. It it has a result. I try, you know, again. And you might want to, I mean, you might want to go have an interview with Gil or something and sit with him around this particular issue or something. We can talk more after. Yeah. Um, I think it's getting close to time. Is there any last comments? Okay, so I'll do a short meditation before we end. So I invite us all to come into our bodies. And just allow the attention to rest in the belly area. And notice what there is to notice. Notice what you feel. See if there's any kind of emotion that's happening just by simply bringing the attention into the belly. And make space for that. Allow it to be. And then move your awareness up into your heart area. And again, check in. Notice what's happening. Feel. Maybe things are passing through. 
Maybe there's a strong sensation there. Whatever it is, can we have an open and spacious awareness that includes everything? And take in the full body, awareness of any body sensations. Notice the language of the heart, the words of the body. Let's dedicate the merit of all of our time today, tonight. We dedicate it to all beings. May we share the merit with everyone who is in, particularly those who are suffering. May their suffering be reduced. May their happiness be increased. And may the awakened heart and mind, may it grow and grow and grow.